Good morning, Journey Church International. Hey, it's awesome to be here with you. Hey, happy October. Happy middle of uh, football, which is exciting right now. Happy pumpkin spice latte. But most importantly, happy Pastor Appreciation Month. Did you even know it was Pastor Appreciation Month? You see, it's a lot like Mother's Day, right? We celebrate a Mother's Day, but everybody knows that every day needs to be Mother's Day. Right, moms? That was very weak. Right, moms? Every day is Mother's Day. Come on. We're grateful for a month to to appreciate pastors, but every month should be that. But, you know, this is a great time just to take a little special effort and just say thank you to your pastors. This church is immensely blessed. I mean, you have some incredible pastors in this church. I have a real privilege to be in a lot of churches around the country. And let me tell you something. You guys have got a very high-quality, amazing staff here. So, Take time this month and just appreciate them. Take time this month, do something special. You know, just just a card to your pastors, uh, just maybe like a gift card that goes so far. And it's not just Pastor Christian. I mean, you know, think about just go through through actually on the website. Think about Scott and Ryan and Jamie and Mike, and you can just go through the whole list. As a matter of fact, um, Jamie in the first service, I don't want to. Tell anybody what to do, but Fogo to Chow is a great gift card. So anyway, I'm just saying, Pastor Mike has a sign down here, Taco Bell, right there for Pastor Mike. So you know what? To each his own, each is or Waffle House. Mike said either one of those would be phenomenal. But take some time this month, just say thank you, say thank you, because it's it's a hard job, and there's a lot of times where just to hear just that little word or just to even just have that handwritten note can make a massive difference. Let me pray. And then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you again for this time. We're asking now that you would give us open minds, open hearts, uh, open souls to hear from you this morning. We're praying that by your Holy Spirit that you would bring truth to our heart. Father, we need you. We need the message of grace more and more every day. And as we strive to live obedient lives, Father, we want that to be motivated by the right thing. So, Uh, Guide us now in this time, we pray by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So Pastor Christian called me. We talked about this series, Blessed Assurance. Hey, we can have tremendous assurance by obeying God's commands. I thought, wow, that's kind of a hard one because we kind of live in an outback steakhouse world. No rules, just right. Isn't that true? I mean, that's the way so many people want to live. We really don't want to have any barriers. We don't want rules. We don't want, I mean, we just want to be able to kind of do life the way that we want it. Now, in this service, we're going to have like three or four times, and I want to need to have some crowd interaction. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay, so you can feel, feel free to shout out because I want to ask some, some questions. There's going to be multiple times. So we've got to be interactive here. So let's play a little game called Name That Tune. This won't be that difficult. But I want you to think about this song and name this tune. Well, we could go on and on. Some of you would be, come on, keep it going, right? All right. Name, name the band. Queen. Okay. Name the lead singer. Freddie Mercury. Those are both pretty easy. Name the products, name the actual product that that song is the theme song for their commercials. Think of products. What products is that song the theme song of their product? Anybody? Come on, louder. 
T-Mobile, who said that? Man, if I had a prize, I'd give it to you. Okay, T-Mobile, Twix, Dr. Pepper, Grubhub, the Winter Olympics used that as their theme last year. There's oil things around the world that use that. I mean, we could go on and on. It's incredible how often that song is used. Why? Because that's, that's the motto of our world, right? I want it all, I want it all, and I, I, I want it right now. It's the way we live our lives. And then in massive contrast to that comes First John. And these words of John speaking very much the heart of Jesus, and it flips it. It says, you know what? It's not all about wanting everything right now and having everything right now, but it's about love. It's about obeying God. It's about walking in the light, and it's in great contrast. So I want to go to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 3 through verse 11. So 1 John 2, starting off in verse 3. John writes this. And we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but actually it's an old commandment that you've had from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm going to write you, which is in him and in you already, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. How appropriate that we talked about Fanny Crosby, the fact that she was in the darkness and yet she had the light of Christ so very, very bright. So we're gonna talk about three things this morning and how these tie in with obeying God's commandments. We're gonna talk about the truth of loving, the promise of abiding, and then the grace of obeying. So first of all, the truth of loving. It's interesting because in this passage, if you just zoom back just a little bit, there's a context, and the context is chapter two because it starts with these words, okay, I I say to you, little children, and then in verse 14, he's gonna talk about little children. You think, wait a second, I don't know if I like being called a little child. Is he actually addressing children Or is he addressing adults and calling them little children? He's addressing the church. He's addressing adults. He's addressing believers saying, you know what? You are like little children. This is very appropriate because it goes back to Matthew chapter 18. When Jesus is on his way to the cross and you have disciples arguing about, hey, who's the greatest? Who's going to be at the very top? Who's going to be right next to Jesus? And Jesus says, you guys were obviously arguing on the road. What what are you arguing about? And very sheepishly, well, we want to know who's going to be the greatest. And it says, Jesus pulls a young child and puts him in their midst and said, you know what? Unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? That we need to become childish? No, we need to become childlike. We need to have humility. We need to have trust unless you become like a child. So it's very natural for him to call us those things. It's very natural to say, hey, you know what, little children? 
Now keep in mind, there's a difference between childish and childlike. I was reminded of childlike this past week because I was with a friend and we were talking about the very first things of our life that we can actually remember. And he has a very clear memory, which is such a powerful memory. He said, 1963, I'm in Raleigh, Durham. I'm with my dad and we pull up to the Woolworths. And he said, and there's a sign in front of the car. And I asked my dad, what does that sign say? And my dad said, son, it says whites only. And my friend said that he said, dad, I am so glad that we have a white car so that we get to park right here. It's childlike faith. And his dad said, son, you know, sadly, that's not what that means. And his dad began to explain to him the evils of racism. That's the first memory of his life. That's powerful. So we have this childlike faith. So verse four makes very clear. Hey, you know what? If we know him, we've got to keep his commandments because if we don't, we're, we're liars and the truth is not in us. John fourteen sixteen. John, the same one that wrote This letter also wrote this amazing gospel. He says this. Jesus is speaking and says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Therefore, it's very clear that obedience gives evidence of our salvation. It's just right there. But we have to dig a little bit deeper because if we just say, well, you know what? If I just go through the motions, that means means I want to be okay with God. Listen, What we do has got to be motivated by love. It's got to be prompted by love because obedience can look lots of different ways. You think about Luke chapter 15 and you think about the prodigal son and the older brother. And the older brother at one point becomes very angry with his father and says, listen, I have never once disobeyed you. I've done everything that you asked for me to do. He says, I've obeyed essentially all of your commandments. And yet it's very clear in that passage that the older brother does not have the heart of the father. He's going through all emotions and he doesn't have the heart of the father. Just because you do something doesn't mean that you do it with the right heart and the right motives or the right spirit. Here's a fascinating story, absolutely true story, but I think it illustrates this and we can do the same thing, but for very, very different reasons. I wanna tell you about two seven-year-old boys and a Green Bay Packer football jersey. The first boy, David Whitoff said, you know what? I'm kind of going to go old school and I want to find myself a Favre jersey and I want to wear a Green Bay Packer Brett Favre jersey. And he wore it every day for 1,581 consecutive days. The same, the same jersey. His mom was able to wash it every so often. But I mean, even at school, they're like, okay, it's been like four and a half years. Can he wear something different? Is there anything else he can wear? And after a while, I mean, it took a great deal of work to get him to finally take off the jersey and wear something else. He wants to sleep in it. He wants to wear it to school. Every day for four and a half years, he wears the exact same thing. There's another seven-year-old boy who's watching a Packers game with his dad, Matthew Kowald. They're playing against Seattle. The Packers win. And his dad, who's a huge Packers fan, just goes crazy and says to his son, celebrate, you know, celebrate. Go put on your Packers jersey. And his son, seven years old, said, no, I don't want to celebrate with you. I don't want to put on my Packers jersey right now. The dad goes and gets the jersey out of the closet, puts it on his son, and duct tapes it to his body. The mother is so upset, she calls the police. And the police come, and this guy's arrested. And he goes and spends three days in jail and has to pay a large fine. So, 
Two young boys, both wearing Green Bay Packer jerseys. One boy, this is my passion. I want this to be my life. I want to wear it every day. The other boy, it's duct tape to him. Sometimes do you feel like God's trying to duct tape you into obedience? It's like, listen, I want you to obey. And some of you right now in church, you might feel like, man, every time I come to church, it feels like duct tape. It feels like I don't really want to be here. I'm here just to kind of ease my conscience a little bit. I want to feel just, you know, I want to feel better about myself. You see, we can't really understand the right reasons to do these things until we understand the depth of God's love for us. Because when we understand the depth of God's love for us, our obedience, obeying God's commandments, becomes a response. We don't obey so that God will love us. We obey because God loves us. So the question has to be, how much does God love us? Why does God love us? What's behind his love for us? Let me share with you the deepest theological truth I know in the entire world. If you take notes, I encourage you to write this down because this is as deep as it will ever get with me. What is the answer to the question, why does God love us? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Just because he does. That's it. Just because he does. You're thinking, is is that in the Bible? It is. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. Actually, you were the fewest of all the people. It was because the Lord loved you. I didn't choose you, you know what, Israel, because you were the biggest, you were the smartest, you were the brightest. I chose you just because I chose you. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. That's circular reason. You can't say I love you just because I love you because that's just going to go round and round. And I would say that is the only way that it makes sense. For example, let's say Pastor Mike, the one who will be at Waffle House and Taco Bell. Let's say that he's going through a time of deep insecurity about his marriage, and so he goes and he says, Wendy, I I just need to hear from you why you love me. And Wendy says, oh my gosh, do you really need to ask? It's so obvious. I love you because of the great job you have, the huge paycheck that you bring home. I love you because of your full, luscious head of hair. I love you because of the amazing six-pack thing you have going on. I love you because you're so athletic, and it's just incredible. That's why I love you. How would that make Mike feel? Massively insecure, right? He's thinking, oh my goodness. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my hair? What if my six pack turns into a keg? What, what if only, what if I can't, well, if I get bad knees and I can't do these amazing athletic feats I've done my, he's going to feel very insecure. What does he long to hear? What does he long to hear from Wendy? He longs to hear, sweetheart, originally it might have been your looks, your drive. I mean, that, but that was way back when. That might have been the occasion of my love back then. It's no longer the cause of my love now. Because I know you and your faults and your weaknesses. I know the areas in which you're far from perfect. And I still love you, sweetheart. I love you just because I love you. That's what everybody wants to hear. If you think that God loves you, 
as long as, gosh, as long as I have a long quiet time every morning, as long as I give in church every Sunday, as long as I make sure that I'm praying more and more every week, as long as I'm doing all of these things, if you think that's the reason why God loves you, then you will never love a God who you think only loves you for that reason. That you're just gonna use God. It's just gonna be back and forth. You're gonna think, okay, if that's the way it works, then I, I love God as long as he keeps me safe, as long as my parents are still living, as long as there's no car accidents in our family, as long as there's no major tragedy, and we'll just go back and forth. But that's simply merchandising each other. You are using one another. But if you understand that God has loved you just because he loves you, when you realize that, then you will be able to love God for who he is. He loves you just because and your obedience, obeying his commandments are a response to what he has done for you. But it's got to be grounded in God's love because anything not grounded in God's love will be done from the wrong motives. Point number two, the promise of abiding. Verse six, it says very clear, hey, listen, abide in Jesus. Then verse 10, it says, hey, abide in the light. So very clearly, abiding in Jesus is equated with abiding in the light. It's the theme of First John. The theme of 1 John is very much walk in the light, be the light. For 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what does it mean to just abide in Jesus? It means to rest in Jesus, to be content in Jesus, to be calm in Jesus, to remain in Jesus. Does abide mean that if I'm walking with the Lord that things are gonna go pretty well in my life? No, that's not what that means because that is very shallow theology, which so often we have. We think, well, if I'm abiding in the Lord, things are gonna go really well in my life. If I'm not abiding, there might be some hard times in my life. Don't go to that place because that's gonna lead you to very dangerous places of theology. Jacob in the scripture finally obeys God. He finally, do, finally does what God wants him to do And God meets him and wrestles with him and literally beats him up and maims him for life. And Jacob's right in the middle of God's will. Joseph, Joseph does exactly what God wants him to do and he winds up in prison for a couple years. Yet he's in the middle of God's will. Jesus feeds 5,000, Matthew chapter 14. And then after that, he says, hey, you, you guys, my disciples, get into the boat and go over to the other side. So it says they get into the boat and it says they're out there in the middle and it says that the sea was against them. The wind was against them. Listen, they're right in the middle of God's will and they're hungry and they're tired and they're probably very frustrated and they're thinking, what are we doing out here in the middle of a storm? They're in the middle of a storm because God sent them into the middle of a storm and that's when Jesus comes walking on the water but they're right in the middle of God's will in a storm. If they would have disobeyed God, if they would not have been abiding in the Lord, they would have been home around a warm fire with their bellies full, swapping stories about the feeding of the 5,000. So just because you might have some hard things in life doesn't mean that you're not abiding in Christ. It doesn't mean that you're not in the middle of God's will. That can be a very shallow way to think. It means that we're walking in the light. And that light is so powerful and that word is so extremely important. Now, we're going to go back to like third grade. Is that okay? I love third grade. It was the best three years of my life. Anyway, back to third grade. We're, we're going to play a game of opposites. Now, listen, 
I have done this with the staff here, and I went back in some notes, and I realized I did some of this stuff about seven years ago. So if you know the answers, don't shout things out. Let somebody that might not know these answers, uh, because it's just an interesting way just to think this through. So I don't want you to speak out loud yet, but I want to walk through a list of eight words, and I just want you to think, <clears throat> all right, the opposite of this word is what? So let's start in. The opposite of the word in is Okay, you're, you're not going to say it out loud. I know, hard. Third grade once again. Don't don't speak yet. Just think it mentally. The opposite of over is the opposite of front. The opposite of big is the opposite of good. The opposite of light. The opposite of love. And then what's the opposite of God? Okay, pencils down. Let's check your answers. For some of you, just to say pencils down brings back some bad memories, doesn't it? For me, oh my goodness, really bad memories. Anyway, okay, now now you can speak out loud. All right, the opposite of in is outstanding. The opposite of over is great. The opposite of front is outstanding. The opposite of big is, okay, we will also accept little. It can go either way. It's okay. You're still right. Don't have fear. The opposite of good is? The opposite of light is, the opposite of love, the opposite of God is, okay. First four, outstanding. The next list, the opposite of good. The opposite of good is not bad. The word good has no opposite. There's no equal properties for good and bad. Bad is to good as bread mold is to bread. You know, bad is an absence of good. It's not the opposite of good. The opposite of light is not darkness. The word light has no opposite. There's no equal property. There's no opposite for it. Because if we have a dark room and I have a small candle, it's going to illumine the entire room. Right now we have, a, we have a full room with light. And trust me, in my hand, I'll just check complete darkness. It's absorbed by the light. They're not opposite. Love has no opposite. The closest would be not hate, but actually indifference. That would be the closest. And certainly the opposite of God is not Satan. God has no opposite. Pure beauty, truth, three more words that have no opposite. Why is that so important? Because when you understand that God is light, when you understand that, you're going to understand that when we abide in the light, we're, we're, we're on the winning team. And I think that there's times in which we think, okay, I, I believe in spiritual warfare, and I believe that there is going to be this clash of good versus evil. But I also believe that goodness and light and love and Jesus and God are so far above the opposites that that's where our great hope comes from. That's where our security comes from. We can feel better because we know, you know what? I have the light. The darkness cannot hold back the light. The light will always break through. And we're told, walk in the light, be of the light. And listen, if you don't do those things, you are going to be in darkness. But those things are not opposite because the light is so much more powerful. The scripture tells us, listen, God is good. God is beautiful. God is light. God is love. God is truth. I would encourage you to look up those passages because they're so very, very powerful. These are the things about God that we absolutely know to be true. So we want to abide in the light. We want to obey his commandments and abide 
in that truth. And that's where we have our hope. And then number three, and this is really the heart of our passage, the grace of obeying. So once again, why obey? Well, wait a second. If nothing can make God love us more, if there's nothing we can do to make God love us less, then why obey? Because it's a response to what he has done for us. The best example of this is the book of Romans. If you look at Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, especially, there's a list of commands. I mean, it's a lot of commands and you think, wow, okay, God is asking me to do all of these different things. And if you read that at times, it can feel overwhelming. Chapters one through 11 tell very much the story about God's gospel grace, how the fact that our sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ, how the fact that we are adopted by God and we're a part of his family. I mean, if you read Romans 1 through 11, there's probably no greater section in all of scripture that just spells out gospel grace and what that means for us. The key verse in Romans, the key verse, the hinge to everything is Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, which is misquoted so often. I hear people say, you know what, it says this, uh, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's not what it says. Romans 12, 1 says this, therefore, in view of God's mercies, and then it tells us what to do. In view of chapters 1 through 11, Now that you see this, now do this. In other words, your obedience has got to be a response to what we've just spelled out for you in chapters 1 through 11. It's all right there. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, do these things. If you switch those around in Romans, it's a different religion. It's a completely different faith because if you switch things around, all of a sudden it's like, okay, you've got to do all of these things. And if you do all those things, then God is going to show you grace. But no Those chapters are in absolutely the right order, and that verse is the hinge. Because we want to absolutely do those things. You see, we aren't saved through the teachings of Jesus. We're saved by the life of Jesus. We're saved by the fact that he gave his life upon a cross for us. If you believe that you're saved by the teachings of Jesus, and you think, well, that just means as long as I obey, as long as I do his commands, I want to be okay with God. If that's the way you live, it's going to lead you down one of two roads. First of all, there could be massive despair because you think I fall so far short. There's going to be guilt. There's going to be shame. You're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to be depressed. You're just going to be in a terrible place. The opposite extreme is you're going to have extreme pride because you think, man, I'm killing it. I'm killing, I mean, God has all of these commands. I'm doing absolutely everything absolutely right. But inferiority and superiority have the same root. And it's all about you. It's all about your efforts. And it's all about these things. Listen, the teachings of Jesus are important, but the life of Jesus is what saves you. All of the faiths around the world are exactly the opposite. In all of these other religions, it's not what they did, it's what they taught. So you have to obey the teachings of Mohammed and Confucius and Buddha and Joseph Smith. And we could go through every other group out there. As long as I obey their teachings, listen, they, they all live messy lives. We don't care how they live, we just have to obey their teachings. But with Jesus, it's very, very much the opposite. Christianity works exactly the opposite. I love this phrase by Tim Keller. He says this, the way that the world thinks about it is this. 
We work hard in this lifetime. We develop a record. And then we give it to God and say, okay, God, because of all of these things I've done, you owe me. But the gospel says this. God, through Jesus Christ, his son, develops a perfect record. He gives it to us, and then we owe him. You see, that is extravagant grace. Grace is the most transformational word in all of Scripture. The entire Bible is a narrative of God's grace, the story of undeserved, amazing redemption. Grace is a story. Grace is a gift. It is God's character, and it's your hope. It's a transforming tool, and it's a state of relationship. It's a theology, and it's an invitation. It's an experience, and it's a calling. Grace does not excuse us from godliness. It drives us into godliness. When you understand grace, it drives us into obedience. Because the more that you understand God's grace, the more that you will fall in love with his holiness, and you will want to be more and more like him. And that's where the meaning of life comes from. That's where the purpose comes from. And you might be trying to find your purpose in so many different things. You might be trying to say, yeah, but I, I want to do all these things in life. I want it all and I want it now. Freddie Mercury said, my goal is not to be a rock star. My goal is to be a rock legend. I want to rewrite everything. Freddie Mercury believed that that song, I want it all, I want it all. And I want it right now. That would be his great legacy. Freddie never performed that song live. Because the rock star life that he lived took his life at the age of 45. Never performed it live. Even though he was convinced that that would be his absolute peak moment as a rock star. He didn't make it. Because he was pursuing all of the wrong things. What do we want to pursue? Salvation, life, hope, peace. How in the world do we get there? How do we do it and obey these commands? You see, there are psychologists all over the world today, and there are some churches that don't preach the gospel today. Sadly, there's some TV preachers that you could go home and watch right now that are going to preach this. Hey, you're not condemned because you're not guilty. Because you're not guilty, you're not condemned. You can hear that in so many different places. Here's the message of Christianity. You are guilty. You are a sinner. But in Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. You see, that's the great message. We are guilty. But in Jesus Christ, we are not condemned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Wow, that's it. That's gospel truth. That's our gospel hope. That's it absolutely right there. But remember, the fact that we have life itself, it doesn't come because it just somehow magically comes into our life. There was a tremendous cost. And the tremendous cost was Jesus. And the fact that he gave his life upon a cross. But we struggle with that because we want to have childlike faith. But so often it devolves into childish faith and we begin to think things like, gosh, I'm just not good enough. I need to try harder. I need to pray harder. I need to give more. I need to just do something. I'm so afraid I've committed a sin which I cannot be forgiven. And that's gonna lead to guilt and shame and denial and blame and discouragement and compensation and on and on. And then we begin trying to rationalize ourselves 
and say, well, you know what? God knows I'm trying. I'm really struggling, but I'm doing the very best that I can. And I know I'm not doing perfect, but gosh, I'm doing a lot better than that person over there. And that becomes the game that we play. And we fail to grasp the kindness and the goodness of our Heavenly Father and what he has for us today. I want to demonstrate this with a very simple story. I'm I'm very blessed to have five amazing kids. I've got four incredible daughters, one great son. And my, my daughter, who's now the youngest, which is hard to believe, is 18 years old. When she was between you know, she, she was just about to turn five. You know, she was always, I mean, like the smart one in her family. She started to do some reading and she could write. It was just, it was just unbelievable. And then out of the blue, she gives me this gift. She makes a card for me. And on the front, front of the card, she, she draws this picture. Daddy and Allie. One, two, three. Oh, it's, it's, it's very sweet. On the inside... She gives me this incredible card to dad from Allie. I love you so much and I will never stop loving you and I love you with my whole heart. Now I wanna tell you two stories. I wanna give you story A and story B. And I want you to vote after I'm done and I want you to vote on how I responded as a father, okay? Here's story A. Allie, pretty good job on the picture. I don't think my hair looks quite like that, but that's a pretty good job. And I do have zombie eyes, but listen, it's a pretty good job on the picture. But sweetheart, on the card on the inside, oh my goodness, I can probably count 20 mistakes on the inside. First of all, you've got these like two or three places you started to write something and you scratch it out, it's like explosions on the card. I don't know what's going on there. And then you have all that blank space. If you would have just planned out a little bit more, Allie, you had the blank space at the top. If you would have just planned, you could have written a lot more up there. And I love you, sweetheart. I, I love you. There's, there's an E, obviously, in love. And if you would have planned ahead, you wouldn't have had to put the H on much at the very bottom. Sweetheart, just think a little bit. Plan it out as you go through. Plan out the line before, before you write it. And I will never stop. Sweetheart, you know, there's spaces in between words. I can't even see what you're writing there. I mean, I I have a hard time even reading that, and I don't know why that's underlined. And and then you wrote there at the bottom, loving you, sweetheart. There's no E in loving. And here's where it just gets just horrific, Allie. And I love you with my whole heart. Love with my whole, first of all, yeah, you put the E. I don't know if you spelled it L-O-V-A. I don't know what was going on there. Whole heart, H-O-L-E-H-A-R-T, sweetheart. This has got messes all over it. Go back, correct it, and then bring it back to me. That's story A. Story B. I just melted. Start sobbing. I mean, it's like, golly. I will never get rid of this card, Allie. Pull her in close. Hold her tight. Give her a huge hug. This is one of the sweetest things I've ever seen in my life. If they put me in a casket one day, I want this card in the casket with me. Because this is one of the most special things ever. Okay, let's vote. How many of you think I responded story A? There's always a smart aleck. All right, always. How many of you think I responded story B? 
It's kind of a no-brainer, right? When you think of your relationship with God, why do you think it's story A? Why do you think that's how God treats you? Why do you think every time you bring him a tainted love gift, and that's what that is, it's a tainted love gift, but it was perfect in my eyes. Why is it that every time you think about you and God, you think he's angry with you, he's correcting with you, he's mad at you? Hey, go get this right and come back. Why do we think that we are better parents than God? Why do we think that we are more tender towards our children than God is towards us? Because the truth is, story B is true of the way that God thinks about you. Do you you believe that you can melt God's heart? Do you believe that you can just melt his heart just because, God, I know this is, I know this is flawed. I know this is not going to be perfect, but I'm just going to just do my very best. And God just receives that and says, wow, I love you so much. Because for you and God, it's story B. It's not story A. Don't believe the lie from Satan that he will put in your head over and over again every day. Story A, God's angry. You're gonna have to make up ground as fast as you can. God's only gonna love you if you do all of these things right. That's absolutely from the pit of hell. Why do we obey? Because God loves us that much. That much. And that, my friends, changes and transforms everything. So it begins by placing your trust in it. It begins by becoming a child. Having a childlike faith, a childlike heart, and saying, God, I need you. I desperately need you. And thank you for loving me with story B. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we realize that so often we do believe the lies of this world. We get things so backwards and so turned around. But Father, we thank you that your love for us is very much story B. You're tender, you're kind. Even though we sin, even though we fall short, we melt your heart just with the effort because we, we want to try. We want to be like Jesus. We will always fall short, but we want to be like Jesus. Father, thank you that you have accomplished these things by your life, by the story of Jesus. Thank you that we're not saved by obedience to your word. That gives evidence of the fact that it's right there, but we are saved by the story of Jesus the fact that he went to the cross. And that gives us the greatest hope because we don't have to be insecure in that. We realize, Lord, there's insecurity in Buddhism and Hinduism and the Muslim faith. We could go on and there's insecurity in that because it's always going to be about obedience to your teachings. But thank you that we don't have to live that way. We can say it's receiving your story. And your story is the one that your shed blood granted us life itself. So God, help us to be people who obey, but do it from a heart that's a response. Not so that you will love us, but because you love us. Because you've gone to the greatest extent ever for us, we can love you. 
Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this body. Father, I pray that day by day, the gospel will continue to be proclaimed here. And that as a result, people would fall more and more deeply in love with, with Jesus, his life, his story. We give you the glory and the praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the head of this church. Amen.